we've been on this journey as we've been looking. We started about a month ago, and this kind of wraps things up. So we've been moving through this journey of discovering who we are in Christ and how God sees us when we're in him. And uh, this message is a tough one. You know, it's a tough one. So uh, I, I was thinking about this. You know, sometimes there's a lot of information that comes out, and you can go, oh, man, that was, that was a lot of info. And then sometimes maybe the message even goes like five minutes longer than normal. I know. It makes you think of Paul when he said this. It is through many hardships that we must enter the kingdom of God. You know, I think he went about seven minutes longer than normal. And uh, I do think about, and by the way, you all, thank you. Seriously, you're not clock watchers. We made sure that we moved all clocks from the building. But, uh, but I, I really do never see any of you go, is this thing working? You know, so thank you for that. Um, but it'll take, we'll have to be tough to get this message today, but it's the end progression to where we've been as we look at how God sees us. Now, when we look at this scriptures, we always need to submit our hearts to how God sees us. Me, you, anybody, when we say, well, I don't know if I believe that because I always kind of thought, let me say, what I always kind of thought, if it's different than what the scripture says, go with the scripture. His word is forever settled in heaven. I don't even agree with myself down the road later. There's surely been some area in your life where you went, huh, I used to think that was true and now I see things differently because we grow and we develop and we get more understanding. God's not getting more understanding. God doesn't say, well, I never thought of that before. That's a good point. I change every way, everything I think about. He, he's, his word is forever settled in heaven. And so when we look at how, how does God see us when we come into a belief in Jesus Christ? And I believe that belief is more than just a, a hey, you believe in Jesus? Uh, yeah, sure. Hey, let's head on out to the club now and, and get our party going on. Uh, that's, belief is, is something that transforms us. Belief changes the way we think. Belief belief alters our direction in things. If I, if I believe something is really true, you know, we, we get tornadoes around here. If I'm watching the TV and they say there's a tornado coming, if I really believe that, I go to my basement. Now, if I think, ah, I've heard that a hundred times and, and it, may, it won't come near us or anything, then there's not real belief. But real belief actually spurs you into some kind of action. So we put our full trust or full weight on something that's to believe. And here's what God says. Not what you feel, not what I feel, not what we think, but what does God say? And these are all things we've looked at over the last several weeks. So let's pop up those things. What, does, how do, what is a Christian's reality? This is, this is all from the Bible. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, then you are purified from how much sin? All sin. That's what the Bible says. You are purified from how much unrighteousness? All. Hmm, that's what the Bible says. Our sins and lawless acts God will remember no more. It's good news, isn't it? God will never hold any sin against us. This is what he says. Blessed is the one whom God does not count their sins against them. Who, O oh Lord, if you counted their sins against them, could stand? And so then it goes on to say that when we become Christians, we become new creations or new creatures. The old is gone and the new has come. We're free from all guilt and all shame. Now, I know a lot of Christians aren't walking in that, but you should be. God has this, he does not want you to walk in guilt and walk in shame. And so what we have to say is, hold it. If, if God said Jesus' brutal death and glorious resurrection was enough to forgive me of all my sins and cleanse me of all my sins, then that's enough. There's nothing I can add to it. Can you think about that? Can you imagine anything you could add to God 
clothing himself in a human body, living a sinless life, being brutally murdered for no sin he ever committed because he committed no sin. He dies for us, sheds his blood, rises again, and we say, that didn't quite do it. I need to add to that some shame and guilt. No, get free. You're free from shame and guilt. And we have been made perfect forever. We've been made perfect forever. That's good news. Forever is a long time. That's a, that, you want to be perfect for a long time, forever. So this is how God sees us. Not how we kind of think of things, but how God sees us. And we, we also looked at a, a, a verse that said that we're justified. Last week we used that big word justified. And I want us to see what is the dictionary definition of justified. And this is a good Bible definition too. Justified means declared or made righteous in the sight of God. Declared or made righteous in the sight of God. Who makes us that way? Jesus does. And then, here's just a cute little saying. Probably most of you have heard this before. But if you haven't, you can log it in your mind. It's a really good one. You say, what's justified mean? And this isn't the whole theology of the word justified, but it's a pretty good one. It's just as if I'd, you see it? Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. God looks at you just as if you'd never sinned. You say, well, that, that's just amazing. Yes, that's why the gospel's good news. That's why the message of Jesus is outstanding news. You will not get any better news anywhere on planet Earth than the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't fix myself. Only God can, and he did. Not just that he could, but he did. He actually cared and wanted to fix the situation. So we were on last week the gospel of forgiveness, the gospel of forgiveness, that so we are 100% completely forgiven of all of our sins when we come into a relationship with Jesus. That is the, that's one of the parts of salvation, the gospel of salvation, is forgiveness. So today we're going to look at the blessings of forgiveness. Now, I'm probably not going to point out everything, this is a blessing, this is a blessing, this is a perk, oh, this is a, this is a landmine, if you don't, this is bad here, and that's bad. But we're intelligent thinking people, so we can say, Ah, there's a blessing of walking in forgiveness. Oh, here's a landmine for not walking in forgiveness. So, we're going to look at that, but it's important that we understand how God in Christ forgave us, because that's how we're supposed to forgive, how God in Christ forgave us. So let's look at that, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, this is not a trick question. We'll even leave the verse on the screen so you can see it. Did Christ die for us after we cleaned up our act, straightened up some things, stopped doing this, and started doing that? Is that when he died for us? Did, did Jesus say, hey, I think they have at least achieved a level of goodness that I'm now willing to die for them? No. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Now, Ephesians 2 kind of gives you, you know, the broad view of what's a sinner. As for you, and we're all of you, okay, it could read like this. Every one of us, every one of us were dead in our transgressions and sins in which you used to live. That's for believers, that should be our past life, in which you used to live. Now, he's going to lay it out. Here's how we used to live. We used to follow the ways of the world. Now, that's all, that's true. We used to follow the ways of the world. Now, do you know this? The world's and the culture's idea of how to do life is often, not always, but often at odds with God. 
God says, here's how you live life. And the world says, ah, don't worry about that. I mean, people say, well, our culture is a mess. Our culture is a mess. And it has always been a mess. Those of you who are old enough to remember the 60s, the 60s, you know, seemed like the mantra was just this, if it feels good, do it. But what does God say? Who cares what God says? And so there's a whole godless generation, and those people became uh, our politicians. Those people became our college professors. Those people became our pastors and preachers. Those people became infiltrated in society. The people who said, if it feels good, do it. Whatever you long to do, go ahead and do it. It's all okay. Now, let's look at what this happened. We, we followed the ways of the world. And the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So, we could say this. Here's what a sinner did. We followed the pattern, the lifestyle of the world. And we followed the devil. We were in cahoots with the devil. Now, no one likes to hear they're in cahoots with the devil unless they're actually a Satan worshiper. You know what I mean? So, we, we don't like I'm. I'm never in cahoots with the devil. Well, let me tell you what Jesus said one day. He's looking at some very devout religious people. And they're rural keepers. And in society, in the culture, they say, these are the really good people. These are the really, really good people. But there's something interesting about those people. They rejected Jesus and the message of the Messiah. And Jesus said to these clean-cut, rural-keeping, good people, you're of your father the... Does anybody remember? The devil. Well, trust me, they did not like that no more than you and I would like to hear we're of the devil. But especially them. I mean, they're religious people. So we could be at cahoots with the devil and not even really know it because we've decided we're not going to do God's way. We're going to do the devil's way. All of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings. Now, it, it would be appropriate to put in their sinful cravings because your flesh has cravings that aren't sinful. Somewhere around noon today, you'll probably get hungry and want to eat. That's not sinful. You'll get tired, want to sleep. That's a, that's a craving of the flesh. But there, here talk, he's talking about sinful cravings. At one time, uh, we were gratifying the sinful cravings of our flesh and following the sinful desires of our flesh and following the thoughts of our flesh. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So what did we deserve? Wrath. Now, we, we may get upset about that, but that's what the Bible teaches. So here's this impeccable, holy, flawless God, and here's us sinful, broken people down here. And there's such a gap there that the only thing we deserve, because we so miss the mark, is the wrath of God. Now, what frustrates me about people is people who don't know God and people who know very little about God want to tell everybody what God's like. And so they'll say, well, God's mean, and God's wrathful, and God's hurtful, and God's angry, and God's judgmental, and, and the list goes on and on. Well, here it says that we're deserving of God's wrath, but, the next word is but. There is a big but, one T, but right here in this verse. But, because of his God's, because of God's great what? Love for us. Because of God's great love for us. Hold on, I thought he was mean and hateful and awful and ugly and wanted to hurt and kill people. No, we deserved wrath, but God didn't want to give wrath because the people who knew God best said this about God. He's abounding in love. He, he hates to send wrath and calamity, and he's very slow to get angry. Now, we love it when slows, God's slow to get angry when we're the one he ought to be angry at, 
We get frustrated when he's slow to anger when we want him to be angry with somebody we're angry at. It's like, move this along, God. You know, get at this. Go ahead and show your wrath. But he's abounding in love. He's excessive in love. He's slow to anger, and he hates to send wrath, judgment, or calamity. That's what the Old Testament people said about God, and it's true. We see it right here. He didn't want to send wrath. He had great love and rich mercy, and because of his great love and rich mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, it's interesting because we could stop right there and say, well, then everybody must be saved. Everybody must be born again. Everybody must be going to heaven. Everybody's sins must be forgiven. That's kind of true, but hang with me to the whole, through the whole story, okay? It won't take long. Sin of the whole world has been paid for in full. There's no more sacrifice coming. The sin of every person on planet Earth has been paid for. Paul said that, who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. Not only are our sins paid for, but the sins of the whole world. Salvation has been provided for every single person on planet Earth. You say, then we're all going to heaven and we're all sin-free. No, there's a, there's the salvation is a gift. God extends a gift to you. We got a gift extended to us many years ago. Many years ago, we were on Verizon as our wireless carrier. And Verizon must have done something wrong, and they got sued. There's a class action lawsuit against Verizon. Verizon lost, and we, along with a few million other people, won. And so I get a letter through the mail that says, you have won. This is what you've won. If you will fill out this form, it's probably two or three pages, mail it in, in four to six weeks, you will get a check back and be awarded $2.93. And I was like, I really don't feel like spending half a day to get $2.93. Or, I know it. Or, guess what? You could take that letter down to the local Verizon and you could get, now that's not what the letter said, but this is what it was, a junky, flimsy, plastic set of headphones. Now, not over-the-ear ones, the little earbud ones. So I look around the house, it's probably like your house, you've got 20 of them laying around, you know, junky old headphones. And so I have this gift that's been given to me, far shy of the gift of salvation, mind you. And I said, I don't want it. And I threw it in the trash. People are presented the gospel all the time, and they say, I don't want it. We saw that last week. We don't want it. If you reject the gospel, there's no more sacrifice for sins coming. There's no more answer. There's no more solution. Jesus is the only one. And you can say, I don't care that my sins have been paid for. I don't care that uh, salvation is mine. It's still a gift we have to receive. And many people reject it. But the one who is right close to Jesus, the one whom the disciple whom Jesus loved, he didn't say everyone's children of God. Here's what he did say. To all who believe in Jesus, to everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, to them he gave the power, the right, the privilege of becoming the children of God. And so we call upon Jesus and we yield our lives to him and we become children of God. Now this is very important to understand how God forgives us because guess what? We're given an assignment. I know you're thinking, I, the last three messages are fine. I don't know why I showed up for this one. This assignment is to be a forgiver now. We've been forgiven. Now our assignment is to be a forgiver. So we look and say, well, how did Jesus forgive? He forgave us when we were still sinners, when we were cahoots with the world, the devil, when we weren't asking for it. And guess what? When we didn't even know we needed it. Ephesians 2 and Romans 5 
we didn't even know we needed forgiveness. We weren't seeking after it. God gave it to us before we even knew we needed it and made it available to us. So what are we going to do with this message? The first person I believe you need to forgive after you become a believer is yourself. Now, I feel like we've talked about that the last couple of weeks, how to forgive yourself. You say, but I've done so many wrong things. I've done this, I've done that. I get that. Nobody escapes the world without doing wrong stuff. But God says, I'll forgive you, I'll purge you, I'll cleanse you, I'll make you righteous, I'll make you holy, I'll forgive all your sins, I'll never count them against you, you'll be made perfect forever. And we just need to say, hold it, I'm just going to say thank you. I'm not going to argue with it, I'm just going to say thank you. And so we need to forgive ourselves, because every day you spend in guilt, every day you spend in shame, is a day you're not being everything God called you to be. And that's what the devil loves. He loves when you just, if you're going to fool around and get saved, which he'd prefer for you not to, he loves to make you stagnant. So you, all you're thinking about, I can't do anything for God, I can't be used by God, yada, 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 because I've done too many wrong things. Well, nothing is bigger than the grace and love and forgiveness of God. His will triumph over all that. So now we have to say, who's the next person? We've got to forgive others. That's no fun. Who wants to do that? We have to forgive others. And so how do we forgive others? The way, that's what the Bible says. We're supposed to give them the way God forgave us in Christ. And so here's some things that I've seen over the years and experienced in my own life is there's three types of wrongs that are suffered. The first one is imagined. You and I all, we've we got some kind of wrong that's been done to us that's imagination, not even real. So, and, you know, a little example I always use, you're in, say you're here after service, and you look over, and there's three or four people talking and hooting it up and laughing, and they look towards you, and you go, those people are talking about me. Those people are making fun of me. Those people are, oh, how dare them? And so you now have been wronged. Even, here's the odd thing about, even if it's not true, it's true to you. Even if it's imagined, it's real to you. Now, what's the chance of those people coming to you and saying, I want to repent to you? Zero, because, now here's the real sad thing. You say, they're talking about me. Here's the sad news. I find out most people don't even know who I am. I'm not even on their radar. They're not thinking about me. They don't, they don't think about me. They got their own life they're leading. Now, the second thing, which I believe is a big chunk of, of our wrongs, is unmet expectations. All of us do things where we don't meet people's expectations. You know, you, but, but I think he or she should have done this. I think they should have said this. I think they should have, you know, whatever. The list goes on and on. Pastors are notorious for, for having unmet expectations. There's probably everybody here you're thinking, yeah, I got three or four things I think you should have done that you didn't do. And, well, first of all, thank you that you're still here. Uh, but that's unmet expectations. It's not always biblical. It's unmet expectations because I know how I think you ought to respond. Let me tell you something about us. Darlene and I, if we're in the hospital, you know who we think should come visit us? No one. That's just the way we're wired up. Darlene's told me before, if I'm ever in the hospital, tell people not to come visit me. I look bad. I feel bad. I don't want to entertain anybody. She said, I don't even know how that whole idea came that we go visit sick people in the hospital. They're laying there. Hey, man, how's it going today? Oh, not so good. So anyway, and you start talking. They're saying, I don't want to talk. I don't want to visit her. But there are some people, if they're in the hospital, they really, really, really want visited. And so you got to tell people because I won't know how to outguess that. So some of you are probably thinking, ah, so there's the problem. I was in the hospital and he didn't come visit me. Let me tell you some bad news. 
I didn't even remember you were in the hospital. So there's how bad that is. Besides, it's interesting. Have you noticed how the medical world now, you kind of get in and get out? Sue White was here. Does anybody remember Sue White? Sue White was here, had major back surgery on a, like a Tuesday morning. I went to visit her Wednesday afternoon up in Indianapolis. I'm going to tell you, you got to go through hardships for the kingdom. I drove all the way up to Indianapolis to a hospital on the north side. And when I got there, they said, she's already been discharged. I said, are you kidding? Oh, let me back up. No, it's, it's worse than that. I drove all the way up on the north side of Indy. I remember the story now because that's where she was last time she was in the hospital, and I assumed that's where she was, and she wasn't even there. <laughs> and so then I call around, find out she's like a Methodist because I went to St. Vincent's. And then I drive to Methodist, and they say, she got discharged yesterday. I mean, I have to have a gold star in heaven for that kind of, you know, sacrifice. And I thought, she had major back surgery on Tuesday, and it's Wednesday afternoon, and they've dismissed her? Well, that's kind of the way the medical world works now. Used to be, you know, you go in for a hangnail, you're there for 10 days at least, but now you're in and out. And so, unmet expectations. And the last thing is those legitimate absolutely blatant, horrible sins that have been committed against us, which probably aren't near as many as the unmet expectations, but these legitimate sins. So how are we to respond to those, and, and why? Well, how we're to respond is really simple. How we're to respond is forgiveness. Let me clarify. Answering the question is simple. Maybe not doing it so simple, but we're called to forgive. Forgiven people are called to be forgivers. Now, if you don't have anybody who's wronged you today and you have no ill feelings towards anybody, this message is a breeze. This message is like, hey man, yes, absolutely. Why can't these people just forgive? If you've been wronged and you've been hurt, I know some people have been legitimately horribly hurt and horribly wronged. You know, I know a guy who had, had his father murdered when he was a kid. That's some, that's some kind of trauma and drama that's far different than I had somebody that made fun of me in third grade when I was given a report. You get, the, you get that? And so some people have gone through tremendous struggles, and God says, forgive. You go, wow, that's tough. So this is why it's usually significant, because unforgiveness is incredibly selfish for all the wrong reasons. Unforgiveness is incredibly selfish for all the wrong reasons. But forgiveness... Forgiveness is incredibly selfish. I know we don't like that word selfish to be used in a positive way, but here I'm using it positively. Forgiveness is incredibly selfish for all the right reasons. So we're going to discover this as we look along at the Word of God. Now, unforgiveness is all about me. By the way, I've had struggles with unforgiveness. You probably have too. And it always gets down to it's all about me. So I'm saying... When I feel the Holy Spirit say, you ought to forgive, like, hey, I don't feel like forgiving. You'll hear a bunch of eyes, I don't feel like forgiving, I don't want to forgive. I don't like what they did. I don't like how they behaved. I don't like how they treated me. I don't think they're deserving of it. In fact, I kind of like beating them up in my head mentally every now and then, pulling them out and beating them up, and then, ah, oh, that's kind of fun. I don't want to lose that. That's a whole bunch of fun. And I don't think they're deserving of this precious gift I have, which is forgiveness. They're not deserving of it. But what I have to ask myself is, am I a Christian? Ouch. What did that old preacher say one time? He said, you went from preaching to meddling. Uh, am I a Christian? Because if I'm a Christian, there's at least three things more important than me. At least three. One's Jesus. 
Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Second thing, oh, this is irksome. The second thing is others. Others are more important than, than me? Oh. And the third thing is advancing the kingdom of God. Moving forward the kingdom of God. It's more important than me. And so I have to go, okay. You know, Paul said one time, he said, there's certain things that I don't think are wrong to do at all. But if it will cause someone to stumble and hinder their walk with God, I won't do it. He said, I will not even use legitimate freedoms that are mine that I could walk in if it causes somebody to stumble because he's more concerned about others and the advancement of the kingdom than even his own, you know, things that he could do that weren't sinful. And so we, we read on here and we see this story where Jesus in Luke 17 is telling something. Now, I want to tell you about Luke 17. Luke 17 is a super over-exaggerated story. Jesus was masterful at that. He would use hyperbole, extreme exaggeration, because he wanted to get your attention. He wanted to show with an exaggerated story how important his unexaggerated point was. I want you to catch that. The story may be exaggerated. Jesus' point is not, okay? So he's here in Luke 17, 1 through 7, and Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. Now I'm saying that we need to be forgivers, but this is the flip side on the other side. People do things that make people stumble, and God says, woe to you. Would you please, for the sake of Jesus and the kingdom of God, quit doing things that make people stumble? Quit just, you know, saying, I don't care about their thoughts or what they like or their opinions. And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm never going to say that Jesus is the only way because that may make somebody stumble. That's a biblical truth that's solid and grounded. But so much of what we yip-yap and argue about, just my opinion about how life ought to be done. And I'm telling you, it causes people to stumble. And the kingdom and the message of Jesus is more important. So this is not for the forgiver. This is for those of us, and we've all done it, who are causing people to stumble. Jesus says, stop it. He says, it would be better for people who are causing people to stumble that they be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck. That's a pretty message, isn't it? Than them to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Little ones were probably literally little children and young people in their faith. And you can be 70 years old and be a new believer and a child in your faith. And so then he says, so watch yourselves. So let's pause a little bit from being forgivers and let's look at the things we do that causes people to feel like they need to forgive us. And let's stop doing those things. Stop it. Stop it. One of the main places it happens is social media. You know, we just, you know, I don't want to post something that is going to make somebody angry about something that has nothing to do with the kingdom. I want to impact people with Jesus. Not with my opinion about which is the better truck, which is the better political party, which is the better uh, cologne to wear, which is the better, because we do all that stuff. And so we get on there, and so we get in massive fights over Chevy versus Ford, and everyone knows Chevy's better, and so there's no, no, I really don't care which one, I just said that to try to cause trouble, so forgive me, woe to him, woe to him who causes trouble, okay. But you get the point. We get in all these things, and it's like, for what? What good did that do the kingdom? Now, I get it when you got buddies and you want to sit around and talk, or if you have meaningful friendships and relationships, 
Because once a relationship gets deep enough, you ought to be able to talk about the hard stuff. But most of that, you can't. You know, they say this, and it says, in polite company, you don't talk about religion and politics. That, honestly, is good advice when you're just out in public. Now, hear me. Are you afraid to talk about Jesus? No, I'm not. I'm not afraid to talk about Jesus. But most of the time, it will not be as effective as if you have a relationship with somebody. Then you can talk about those things. Have a relationship. Well, I don't have time for a relationship. I just want to tell everybody what I think. Well, again, I want you to know this. Most people don't care what you think. It's really true. And there's a little saying that really has some power to it. It says, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And so if you build relationships with people, they may be interested in hearing your idea about salvation or politics or farm equipment or trucks or cars or whatever. Uh, but you know what? We need to be wise. Now, please hear me because I know people can get off track. If you're a street preacher, get out there and preach. Preach the gospel. I don't mind that. I'm not preaching against that. I'm just saying we need to be wise in our interactions with people. So Jesus is already beat up on that side. Now he's going to go back to the other side. So watch yourselves, he tells us, when we're causing trouble. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Now, I know human nature, and I know the devil. This will be your loophole. Well, praise the Lord, because they did not come and ask for forgiveness. They did not repent, so I don't have to forgive them. But remember the whole counsel of God. Jesus forgave us when? Before we ever asked for forgiveness. While we were yet sinners, Jesus forgave us. And we're to forgive like God in Christ forgave us. So let's read on. And by the way, these are legitimate, like, in-your-face sins, not imagined sins, not unmet expectations. This is, this is the guy who broke into your garage, stole your tools, sold them, comes back and then says, ah, oh, man, I stole your tools and sold them. I'm sorry, I repent. And you say, okay, I forgive you. And then you get in a conversation over who's the best basketball player in the world, and you disagree, and he punches you in the nose. And then he comes back a little later and says, I'm sorry for punching you in the nose. Okay, that's two. Jesus says, you got at least seven in one day. These conversations happen because the Jewish people believe that you should, you should forgive somebody three times. After three times, your obligation to forgive was over. And so different times in Scripture, Peter, Peter one time says, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? I know what he is looking for, for Jesus to say, oh, my goodness, Peter, are you a spiritual giant or what? <sighs> because the Jewish teach just three, and you're willing to forgive seven times. Now, not in a day, seven times. And Jesus said, I say not seven times, but 70 times seven. Ugh. And so here, none of us are getting comfort from these verses. It says, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the apostle said, just what you and I say, Lord, increase our faith. Are you kidding me? You're saying seven times a single day, if they repent, I am forgive them. Now, again, this is an exaggerated story to prove a non-exaggerated point. And they say, increase our faith. And he replied. Now, don't, don't leave this slide until I tell you to. Okay? The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he, Jesus, replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this, now, now don't move to the next slide yet. There's a similar story to this in Mark 11. In Mark 11, Jesus has 
tried to find figs on a fig tree, doesn't find, he curses the fig tree, they walk by on the next day, Peter says, oh my goodness, the fig tree that you curse is withered from the where, from the roots, and Jesus said, no problem, if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, or if you have the faith of God, it's actually what it says in Mark 11, if you have the faith of God, you can say to this, does anybody remember, you can say to this mountain, you can say this mountain, be plucked up and thrown into the sea, and so I'm ready for Jesus to say again, stick with this story, you can pull up a mountain, but he doesn't. He throws us a curveball. He throws a change up here. He says, I'll tell you this. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this, next slide, mulberry tree. Mulberry tree. Jesus, did you forget it? It's not mulberry. It's mountain. You know, I think you got confused there. Mulberry tree. You can say this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Why in the world did we shift from mountain to mulberry tree? Now, for those of you who have a King James Bible, you say, oh, my goodness, it says a sycamine tree. And that, that evil translation, matter of fact, almost all of them say mulberry tree because a, a sycamine tree is a mulberry tree. They had black and white mulberry trees in the Middle East, and, and so it's a sycamine tree is a mulberry tree. And so you can have this mulberry tree rooted up. It said be uprooted. Catch that phrase? Be uprooted. Be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, why? Why did he go from mountain to mulberry tree? This is my opinion. Because unforgiveness has roots. Unforgiveness has roots. He also said that we can pluck that up and have it thrown into the sea. Now, Preachers used to say this. I don't hear this so much anymore. But preachers used to say this. They'd preach a gospel salvation message, and they would say, give your hearts to Jesus. And if you give your hearts to Jesus, Jesus will take all of your sins, and he will cast them into the sea of, does anybody remember what that, forgetfulness. That used to be the phrase. He'll cast your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. That phrase actually is not in the Bible, but it's still a truth, because we know God forgives our sins, forgets them, doesn't remember them anymore. But Micah tells us that our sins and transgressions, the God will take and throw them into the deepest part of the sea. That's Micah 7, 19. So that's probably where they came from, the deepest part of the sea. I'm not even sure that we have crafts that we can get in. I mean, we might be able to you know, drop an anchor down that we can get in and go to the deepest parts of the sea yet in all of our technology. So the concept is these, nobody's ever going to be able to get to these sins. They're thrown into the deepest part of the sea. And so God wants it uprooted and thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. So I have responsibility to forgive the way God did, and i got to take that person's sin against me. And th I'm, I'm telling you, the Bible says that when we suffer in our flesh, we cease from sin. If you've had somebody that's wronged you and really wronged you, and you had to forgive them, you will suffer in your flesh. Your flesh will beg for mercy, will look for a loophole, will try to find anything. We're going to talk about benefits, though, and blessings of this. And you need to throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. Now, when you have a tree and you want to get rid of it, and let, let's just, well, let's just call it a tree of unforgiveness. You don't prune it. You don't prune unforgiveness. When you prune something, guess what happens to it? It comes back more fruitful. So you don't want to prune it. You don't even want to chop it down at the stump. Back years ago, we had a, Brad, a Bradford pear tree in our front yard. The storm came through, knocked it over, destroyed it. We cut it down. And when we got down to the stump area, 
we dug deep down into the ground and we cut it off real low and then we filled it up with dirt and we throw grass seed on You could drive by now, you'll never know there was ever a tree there. But something interesting happened. For the next two years, Bradford pear trees tried to grow all over my yard. Go ahead and look at that next slide. This root system will keep popping up. It, unforgiveness, wants to hold on for dear life. It'll start popping up everywhere. And, you know, for a couple of years, I just had to mow down those little, I wasn't getting rid of them, I was just mowing them down. Finally, the root system died. But it wasn't until that root system died that those trees kept popping up. And so we need to pull it up. That's why Jesus, Jesus is so masterful. He says the root, uproot it. The, the New King James says pulled up by the roots. The King James says plucked up by the roots. It's always the root. And, and I, when I was thinking about this, remember the story where he curses the fig tree? It's always been a weird story to me because it shifts. It feels like it shifts. Remember the fig tree got cursed from where? The roots, right? Mark 11, the roots. And I've always thought it odd because he's teaching this story. Oh, don't worry about that. You've got faith of God. You can say this mountain, be thou removed and cast in the sea. Don't doubt in your heart. Believe the things you say will come to pass. And whatsoever you say this will come to pass. And when you pray, believe that you received what you've asked for and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you have unforgiveness towards anybody, forgive them. And I always said, where'd that come from? That just doesn't even seem to fit until you look at the heart of God. You want to know a benefit of forgiving? Power in prayer. Power in prayer. Power in prayer. There's power in freeing yourself ah, from unforgiveness. In Hebrews 12, 14, and 15, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter what? Root, that no bitter root grows up. Because what's going to happen when a bitter root grows up? Here's, here's the landmine. This isn't the blessing. This is the landmine. That bitter root will grow up and cause what? Trouble. That bitter root will grow up and cause trouble and defile what? Many. That's why God wants it pulled up from the root. Trust me, God has your best intentions in mind. When we think about forgiving, we think, that, I don't want to forgive. I get that. But God has a higher intention because he sees past the desire of your flesh and he sees something that's beautiful in the spirit. And he says, you can be free, and you can get rid of a lot of trouble in your life. And you can quit defiling and causing trouble to other people. Now, it doesn't mean that every time you have a trouble, oh, I've got some kind of unforgiveness in my life. No, but I'll tell you what, I've decided, when something's not right in my life, I at least want to pause and ask God, is there something I need to deal with? Is there some unforgiveness? Is there something I need to confess? Is there something I need to change? Is there something I need to do? It's a good thing to at least pause and stop and ask the question. And so here he says, this bitter root will grow up and cause trouble and defile many. And Ephesians 4, 31, 32, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even, here's the, here's the linchpin, even as God in Christ forgave you. You're to forgive others the way God forgave you. And he forgave you when you were going after the world, you were indulging your flesh, you were in cahoots with the devil, and you didn't even know you needed the forgiveness. God forgave you. See, our testimony to the world is Jesus is the real deal. That's our testimony to the world. And, and we hear that they'll know we're his disciples by our what? 
love for one another, for one another, by our love for one another. So we're to exhibit something that the world doesn't have. You say, well, uh, I'm not going to do that. Then you're showing that you're no different than the world. Remember Jesus when he challenged us? He said, oh, if you love only those that love you, even the pagans do that, the sinners do that. And so he gave a whole list of stuff. You only do that. Well, sinners do that. You, you loan money to a friend, even sinners do that. So there's this challenge that we're supposed to notch it up a level above the world. And so it says, we'll show that we're the real deal. Now, if I say, well, I, I, and, and again, most of us would never say this consciously. I don't care what Jesus thinks. I don't care about lost people. I don't care about advancing the kingdom. But we ought to ask ourselves, Am I a believer? Because if I'm a believer, those things should be a concern to me. In 1 John 3, 14, we don't have a slide for it, but it says, if we love our brothers and sisters, th here's, the, here's an answer test. If we love our brothers and sisters, we show ourselves to be his disciples, and we show that we have passed from death to life. Let me define that for you. We show that we were once lost, but now we're saved. We were once hell-bound, but now we're heaven-bound if we love one another. But if we don't, then we have not passed from death to life. Well, wow, that's a strong word. We've not passed from death to life if we don't love our brothers. So, now love we often think of as gushy little feelings, and that's not always true. But I want to encourage you, we still walk in what James called the royal law of love. So, Romans 5.5, 5, when you say, I just can't do it, Romans 5.5 5 tells us that the love of God has been poured out, exploded in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me show you why forgiving is the most selfish thing or self-care thing you can do for yourself. This comes from a parable in Matthew 18. I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to tell it to you. We're going to look at one particular verse in it. In, in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, Jesus tells a parable. If you had your Bible with you and you looked it open, it would probably have a title across it. The title of my Bible was the parable of the unmerciful servant. So here's the way the story goes. A king calls his servants together and says, I want to settle accounts with you. And so the one servant comes before him who owes him 10,000 talents of gold. Now, if you're like me, that doesn't mean anything. We don't measure in talents. By the way, talents in the Bible is not I can sing and dance. It's a, a unit of measure, a weight. And so he owes 10,000 talents of gold. Now, my Bible that I was studying in, yours may say something different. Uh, you just get the idea that a talent of gold, a single talent of gold, was worth 20 years' income. Got that? 20 years. This guy owes the king 200,000 years' worth of money if he gives him every penny. Now, I keep saying you're intelligent thinking people, can the guy pay that back? Can he live long enough to pay it back? No, 200,000 years. Even Methuselah couldn't do that. 200,000 years. And so the king says, well, I'm going to send you and your family into debtor's prison. You're not going to get out till you pay it all. And the guy drops to his knees and he begs for forgiveness. He says, oh, he said, just give me some more time and I'll pay you back everything. He begs, I'll pay you back everything. And the king has mercy on him, and he forgives him of that debt. Pretty cool, huh? 200,000 years worth of debt, gone. Pretty cool to what he does. He leaves there, immediately goes, finds one of his fellow servants, who owes him 100 silver coins. A silver coin was equivalent to one day's worth of, of income. So this guy owed him 
100 days worth of work. So if you made 100 bucks a day, he owed him $10,000. Now, that's no small sum, but totally payable. And the guy said, pay me back what you owe me. And he said, just says the exact same words. He says, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. And the Bible says he began to choke him and said, no, I'm going to send you and your family in the debtor's prison. And he does it. Now, I don't know why he does this. There could be all kinds of reasons. One thing that I think we at least think about that we're notorious for doing, we're forgiven, but we still think we could pay the debt. I wonder if he was thinking, I don't know, this is just a supposition. I wonder if he was thinking, i got to pay this debt back. Well, 100 silver coins isn't going to cut it. So I don't know. And that's why it is with us. Well, I'm going to have shame, and I'm going to have guilt, and I'm going to, you know, just put that aside because it's not going to equal 200,000 years of income. I don't know if that's what he thought or just he didn't care and he was mean-spirited. I don't know. But guess what? Now, this is a parable. It's, just, it's a made-up story to give you a spiritual truth. The news wiggles its way back to the king. And the king says, get that servant back in here. And he brings him back in. He said, you wicked servant, I forgave you an insurmountable debt. And you took one of your fellow servants who owed you next to nothing compared to your debt and threw them into debtor's prison, you wicked servant. I'm going to turn you over to the jailer to be tortured. The King James says, I'm going to hand you over to the tormentors. And you will not escape until you paid every penny that you owe. Now, one conclusion we could come to is that, wow, if I'm born again and heaven bound, and I love Jesus, if there's anybody on my list that I haven't forgiven, he's going to take away my salvation and send me to hell. Since we know the whole counsel of God, we say that can't be it, because the whole, that does not fit the whole counsel of God. Well, are you sure? Yeah, I really am sure. And so it doesn't fit the whole counsel of God. So, so what must he be saying? Well, first of all, we know this, that we're forgiven to be forgivers. We often say we're blessed to be a blessing, which is true, but we're forgiven to be forgivers. And so what's going on here? I want, I want you to suppose this, and I believe this is what it is. When we operate in unforgiveness, we open the door to Satan. I know it's not popular to talk about the devil in the United States of America. But there was a book years ago, and it's still true, he's alive and well on planet Earth. And so what has happened is this guy disregarded the forgiveness he was given, didn't pass it along to others, and he was put in prison. And he was tortured and tormented. Now, again, I want to say this. If you're going through a hard time, it's not always, well, I must not have forgiven somebody. But it's good to ask, hey, God, do you want to clean up anything in my life? But he's put in this place of torment because he opened the door to the enemy. Now, I have a belief from studying the scripture that God is not always looking at all this stuff. He has the capacity to. I want you to know that. Absolutely. has the capacity to look at everything and respond just individually. But I believe he's put in motion natural things and spiritual things. And if we obey and follow natural law and spiritual law, there's a blessing connected to it. If we disobey natural law and spiritual law, there's a consequence to it. So... When you walk off a two-story building and you think, I don't care about gravity, it don't mean anything to me, it will in a few seconds because you will fall, you will violate natural law and you'll suffer the consequence of it. Also, I believe a farmer goes out this spring, he sows corn seed in 100 acres. God doesn't say, oh, oh quick angels, come, come make corn grow there. No, he's produced in the natural world corn seed. And it will do this. You can be an atheist. 
You can mock God. If you plant that seed in good soil, it'll grow into corn. But why does God do that? Because God is abounding in love. Because God is kind and gracious to the sinner. That's what he says. He causes the sun to rise on the sinner and the lost person. And so we, want to, we don't want to open the door to the devil. We want to shut the door to the devil. And so now he's in prison. He's got 200,000 years of income to work off. Now, if he couldn't hustle it off out in the street, I don't know how he's going to hustle it off in the prison. So he's sitting there. If I extended the parable, which I believe God would give me the grace to, because it's a made-up story to prove a spiritual point, I believe it should work like this, that the guy should sit there. I can tell you how long I would sit there to change my ways, about two minutes. Probably not that long. But we'll just say for my story that a couple weeks later, he's sitting there, you know, He's been, he's already named all the rats that run through his cell. He's sitting there and he's thinking, man, this is not good. I got 200,000 years worth of debt to pay off. I ain't going to make it. You know what? I was a wicked servant. How evil of me to treat my fellow servant the way I did. Hey, jailer, come here. And would you bring... Uh, somebody with some authority to jot some things down. Six cells down is a guy I put in here because he owed me a hundred silver coins. Would you please write up a document saying I forgive him of that debt? It's gone. It's diminished. It's it's completely gone. And please set him free and let him get back to his his home and his family. And he hears the cell unlocked and the guy gets set free and the joy that's in his heart. Now here's my parable. I believe that news wiggles its way back to the king. And the king says, oh my goodness, he learned his lesson. You know what? His debt's paid in full. And he sends notice to the, to the jail keeper, let that guy go. He's learned his lesson. His debt's been paid in full. He's free to go. And when he walks out of that cell, the door is closed behind him. And his tormentors, his torturers, all that's closed. And he gets to stand there like how Jesus designed us to live, free. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure. Listen to me, my friends. The fullest measure is not in the jail cell with the tormentors. The fullest thing, that's why the most selfish thing you can do, hear me, is forgive. And just say, you know what? I'm going to put that in God's hands. I'm going to step out of this jail, and I'm going to be free. And I'm going to live like a free person, and I'm going to be a forgiver. Now, you say, how do, how do we accomplish that? Here's two points, and we'll pray. The first thing we have to do is we have to cast our cares upon the Lord. Because what will happen, don't forget, I'm a human being just like you. So I have the same emotions you have. The first thing we'll do is we'll say, but they may get away with this. And, and they have wronged me, and I, I don't want to give them this precious gift. First of all, we cast our care upon the Lord and we remember the words of the Lord. The Lord said, remember my words. It is mine to avenge, says the Lord. I will repay. And so we can go, okay, nothing escapes God's sight. I'm going to put it totally into his hands and I'm going to be free. So you cast your care upon the Lord and you trust he will avenge you. He will make it right. He will fix it. The second thing is you begin to choose to forgive. Sadly, I've had to work through this a couple times. 
where you choose to forget. Somebody has wronged you. They occupy your mind. They occupy your heart. They occupy your conversations. They occupy all kinds of stuff. And one day, because it happened to me, I just woke up and said, you know what? I'm not letting that situation or that person occupy my thoughts anymore. I've told you the story before. I looked in the mirror, got up, I was shaving, I looked in the mirror, and I said, in the name of Jesus, I will not think about this anymore. And it lasted about 30 seconds. I thought about it again, and I said it again, and again, and again, because I was determined I was going to choose to forget. And I probably did it 100 times that day, no exaggeration. And then I just kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it, and then it became less I had to do it as the weeks went by. And then finally, it, it just... I don't even think about ever anymore unless I teach a story like this, unless I teach a lesson. It, it's never on my mind. I am free from that because I did what God does. I chose to forget. I'm sure God's better and faster at it, but with his help, I chose to forget, and the love of God was shed abroad in my heart. And let me tell you what will happen. You'll come to a place I did, the people of God did, Jesus did, Stephen did when he stoned to death. You come to a place where all of a sudden something wells up in you. It's heart of compassion. And this person or people who have offended you begin to get your prayers and at first when you feel led to pray for them you will pray for them through gritted teeth you will pray for them with no sincerity at all your mouth will be saying Lord bless them your thought will be saying break their legs uh, you will but but you just keep you just keep the word you keep the word you keep the word you keep praying and then one day I'll tell you what will happen one day you'll be praying for them and your heart will tenderize and you'll think, oh my goodness, these are people that God loves deeply. These are people that Jesus died for. And you'll be like Stephen or Jesus himself. When Stephen was being murdered, he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And he found freedom. I want you to have freedom. I want you to be free. And the less we think about things, the more they fade from our memory. The less we talk about, the less we rehearse it, the more it fades from our memory. And you'll get to a place, if you do that, that it'll click in your mind one day and you'll go, oh my goodness, I've not thought about that for five years because you've chosen to forget. And you'll realize, I've had five years of freedom. Five years of freedom. And the sad point is this. Listen to me, my friends. Most of the people that are still in our joy, causing trouble, causing defilement, causing torment in our life, most of those people aren't even aware of it and if they're really the evil people we think they are, they don't even care. They're happy that's happening to you. Don't give them that. Don't give them that satisfaction. Just say, I have come to, to live the life of Jesus and be free forever.